listening to the Gator Sports Podcast, brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. This is a USA Today Network production, and your host, Graham Hall and David Whitley. I am your host, Graham Hall, joined to my left by my co-host, David Whitley. Hello again. We are three weeks as of today, into spring practice. It's been a while, my friend. These, I think, would be classified as the dog days. Yes. You know, where you're, you're nowhere near the uh, beginning, all that excitement. But uh, you can almost see the light in the tunnel, but not quite yet. And, yeah. And I'm speaking just as a reporter. I can imagine what it's like to be a player yeah. at this point. Two-thirds in, and you're sitting there like, oh, man. It's been exhausting. 20 hours plus of practice. And I think we can actually make the argument fairly that it has been more exhausting. I saw Ventrell Miller coming into practice, coming out of practice the other day, and he was kind of huffing and puffing there. And this is a a fifth-year guy who has been through it all. And he's not messing with you. To quote the players, no cap here. Yeah. He was saying that they were running more in practice than they ever had. Right, And we've talked about the structure. We've talked about how quick they are to get from drill to drill, how they seem to know where they're going. And a lot of that is the cognitive aspect, the informational aspect. But from talking to players, one of the common complaints of last year and, and under the Dan Mullen era was that they never would go full out in practice. And that's what Anthony Richardson felt like contributed to mm-hmm. some of his injuries last season, that he never would really fully open it up in practice. So hearing that players are running more, are just more exhausted, and replicating in-game aspects um, a lot more, I think just has to be encouraging if you're a Florida fan. And I think now that we're seeing physical signs of, of that, it's pretty impressive to me. Yeah, you know, it, it's a little odd that you wouldn't go full out in spring because if ever you're going to go full out, right, it would be there. And you know, especially this spring because... The new staff, I mean, they had no base of knowledge other than some film on these guys. So they, they really need to see these guys in as close to game situation as possible point. and full out and go, going out there. And you know, it's always easy to look back and second guess and, and, and the previous regime, wherever you are, and say that they did this right, they did this wrong. And, you know, it, it's funny. I, I don't think that probably Dan was doing anything differently last spring than he did in the previous springs. And But they were winning, so everything's cool. Cool, but... It, just just from a practical standpoint, you would think that you would, you know, you know, you're always worried about injuries, of course, with football. But if ever you're going to say, all right, look, I can go out there and afford to, to risk my QB, you know, run, running full full sprints and all that like that. And if he gets a pulled hamstring, well, you know, it's it's April. You know, he I don't need that hamstring to be healthy again till August. Yeah. Something like that. And it, it's just it's a balancing act. But I think they probably balanced it a little bit too much on the cautionary side before. And now, you know, I don't think we really had a choice. This, this spring, and they had to go out there and see what they have. Yeah, if you put a quarterback in a position where they're going to get hurt in spring, so many people outside the building are going to be like, well, what are you doing? you got to preserve this guy. He's not going to be in the spring game. But exactly, you have to see what they can do. So I can understand how, in a sense, not to use a cliche here, it's a double-edged sword by having your quarterback or your top running back or whoever it is go full out and – I got to add, we're seeing even more tackling drills, just more physicality, even from the defense away from the live football action. You have to, I think, balance it. There's no doubt about it. Not putting players in adverse situations where they're going to get hit. That makes a lot of sense, of course. And of course, I mean, there are certain exceptions, like, you know, the spring in Alabama, Bryce Young has nothing to prove. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So... But you still want him to get out there and bring bills from a poor with with the receivers and all that. But I mean, you put up I don't know what color jerseys, no hit jerseys they have there in Alabama. But you don't let that guy get hit. You know, here I mean, Danny Werfel didn't need need to go out there and get, get pounded in his you know third spring here. Right. But you know, Anthony Richardson, he's you know his body of works is still is still minuscule in a game situation. Yeah, and, so and he needs you, to get out there. That's even before factoring in the new system that yeah. they need to get as much familiarity. Let's call it that with the system as possible, as well as the coaching staff. And I've long made this argument, and so many people are tired of hearing it, that one of the reasons why the standalone facility is such a necessity is not only is it going to be connected to the 
indoor practice facility itself, but it's going to have a lot of meeting rooms in there so they can go from film and then walk right over to the IPF. Whereas right now, you have to go do that in the stadium, in the lower southeast yeah. end zone of the stadium, and then make that, what, 15-minute walk right. over there. And I I don't know if it still is now, but the practice clock used to start. So if you do the math, if you have this amount of time and you have to factor in walking right. from Ben Hill Griffin over there, you're, you're losing out on significant practice time. So the sooner they can get that in there, which is this is the last spring that we're going to have to deal with that, and they are as well, that's just going to increase the amount that they can do in practice. So... There's just a lot to digest when it comes to the changes here and how much more they can get out of spring moving forward. And and a lot of that also does include making sure that your players are putting themselves in in in-game scenarios rather than kind of coddling them in a sense. This is the first spring I've covered here because last year there was no spring two years ago. And and then uh, last year was so limited, there's no access. But it it is funny just seeing the logistics of it because we see guys walking out of the facility and then... You know, traipsing across that parking lot, and you know, I mean, it's not like it's a, it's a hike through the Sahara, but it's a time element, and and it's just sort of funny seeing seeing that that in this day and age that it is they're they're still at that point, and you know, yeah, I'm, I, I'm just surprised there's not like an, an assistant quality control coach for golf carts, right? Zip them in, zip them. They're back. dodging cars yeah. and, and and cleats in a sense here <laughs> yeah. often, and and it's got to be kind of hard. It's got to be like walking yeah. in heels. Well, it's been, in like it's been sense, raining, you know. Like all it seems like yeah. every every week, every day last week. Where are those big, you know, golf yeah. umbrellas walking them over in a sense, to yeah. keeping the the pads and all that stuff, you know, dry. I, they just can't wait to get into yeah. the new facility. Oh, yeah. And that's coming later this summer, and it's going to be fully finished, I'm hearing, by the end of the year. They're going to still have to do some elements here, but they're going to be able to get in by the summer. So the sooner that guys, and we wrote about this earlier in the week, who a lot of them spend time at the practice facility when they are not at practice. Right, Vol- voluntarily. Voluntarily. Yeah. So the sooner that they can have all of the, I don't want to call it amenities, but everything that they need meeting rooms, facilities, locker rooms, yeah, whatever you want to call it, nutrition elements, they can work out right there and walk through a hallway. That is just going to be huge. Yeah, I mean, we tend to make fun of these Taj Mahals that people are building (laughs) or have been building for the last 15 years. And, you know, we talk about Oregon with its, you know, imported Brazilian teak wood finishes on (laughs) on the the, uh, weight in the weight room and all this stuff, you know, and Clemson, of course, Woods is pulled for the bottom yeah, of yeah. Swanee River. And, you know, I remember UCF with its lazy river and all that. But really, I mean, the bells and whistles are easy to make fun of. And, you know, but just the underlying it, though, is, is there was just a, a, a yawning need just for the basics that any organization needs, which is meeting rooms, you know, convenient faci- you know, facilities to what you need, where you don't waste that time getting going back and forth for this stuff. And just, I mean, just the basics. It, it'd be like, you know, well, I, you know, I'm looking around. We're, we're now in the Gainesville Sun, and you know this this building was was really functional, probably you know in the 1970s and 80s. But if you were to come in now, <laughs> lively, and you know, put, if Facebook were to come in and say we want to buy this building, you know, you'd go, oh man, we got to update everything. Exactly. Uh, and so that you know, basically they they have joined the 21st century, or they will be joining the 21st century with football. Yeah, you have to keep updating your facility, and you have to keep updating your roster. Billy Napier knows that extremely well he has talked about the transfer portal recruiting and after florida's first closed scrimmage which was last thursday five days ago from when we're recording this podcast it was kind of odd and i gotta get your take on this david you saw a head coach come out and mix in praise let's let's say that he was impressed he said that they he wouldn't say that they were ahead of where they thought where he thought they should be he never said that he was going to be satisfied but there were a lot of impressive elements there. But at the same time, you heard a head coach come out and say, we need players. That's right. In the double digits, maybe. We're going to give five walk-ons scholarships at the end of spring. A lot of those comments could strike fear into the hearts of fans. I think he, And pundits, obviously. Yeah. But in the transfer portal era, it's not really a bad thing anymore to do that to say we need players it's kind of like a call for employment at a place that should be desirable to work out you you mentioned facebook imagine if mark zuckerberg goes out there and says we need the top kind of like a Mm -hmm. willy wonka type thing give me the five best candidates that can come in here it's not a bad thing anymore but it still is so strange to people who are familiar 
with college football on a decades on decades level. This is such a new era where after your first scrimmage, you can say, I need players. And it's not a bad thing, man. No, no. And it's funny. uh, You know, one thing about about Napier and I I was there when you're saying it. Then I went back and looked at the at the uh, at the uh, tape. And, you know, everything he says is in the same monotonal tone. You know, if, if he would have been on the Titanic, he would he would have he would have been the guy that he didn't say. Oh, I, I want like a please s- proceed to the nearest lifeboat. Yeah, know, or whatever. Oh, and, yeah. And so he's saying this, and it doesn't strike you till you look at the trend, and and you're saying you know, he's waving a red flag here. You know, it. it but I you appreciate it because I, I, he's very smart, and I think he's calculating. But I don't think he he's he's being that calculating to where he. He's making an excuse saying, I got to go out there and prepare people for the worst and also have to advertise for, for players to come in. Yeah. You know, I, he's, t- he's speaking the truth. You know, they, they do need bodies. They, yeah. need, they, they need, he looked at the roster and he see, and, and because of the attrition and the injuries that have come to certain positions, especially, they see that he, he can't run, he doesn't have three deep, he can't run 20 to 25 plays he would like to. Yeah. And so he knows he needs bodies and he needs better bodies. And that's where that came in, and it, it is basically a not not so subliminal code to anybody in the transfer portal said, "Hey, come here if if you're good, we can use you." You talk about bodies in general. We saw Billy Napier use a lot of tight ends at Louisiana, and you know, again, there's only so much we can glean from 15 minutes of of drills and a couple minutes of live football action that you can't put anything out there about but what has been jarring I think was where Florida stands in the tight end room they've moved some guys over yeah Noah Keeter you hold sky local guy went out to UCLA then transferred back to his hometown and has walked on at Florida preferred walk on I think he's one of the five guys that is going to be the candidate to be brought on scholarship because he has been working with the tight end group has worked with a few other units as well in his time at Florida linebacker, um, big six foot five guy. He's working with the tight ends as well as Griffin McDowell, who is also on his third position. Started as an offensive lineman at Florida, then transitioned to defensive lineman, and now being used as a tight end in this right. offense. You know, it, it. I laugh about it in a sense because it is just kind of a, a plug and play type thing right now. Another guy that has gotten some praise, Dante Zanders. That's a guy that started his career at tight end, played defensive line and tight end in Boca Raton, played tight end his first couple of years at Florida, then moved to defensive line due to a numbers thing, and now he's being moved back to tight end. And Billy Napier was really, I think, effusive in his praise for Dante. But just where that room is at, a lot of it is injuries. Yeah. We saw, when we did spot spot the two Guys, last week they were in the parking lot, as we had meant, you know, Nick Elksness. Elksness, yes, yes. And Odom. You got to think of the animal and then. Okay, Elksness. Yes, there you go. And uh, Odom, you know, and, and, you know, were were they healthy? This wouldn't be nearly the issue that it is. Oh, yeah. Because it's funny, you know, we're talking about the lack of tight ends. Remember just last August when the tight end room, I forgot who the the tight end coach was. He said, I've got the best tight end room in America. It's five, it's five deep, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that gets into this way that I, I am quickly getting this appreciation for Napier. I don't think he, you know, he's, he's, not, he's not blowing smoke. Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, you know, he, he will tell you, he will praise guys that deserve praise, but he will also be honest with you. I mean, and I don't think that he would come out and say, well, I've got the best tight end exactly. even last year. You know, because, yeah, I mean, you can always spin it that these guys have put it. But, I mean, that was not the best tight end room in America by any means last year. And you sort of lose your credibility when everything you, you come out is sugarcoated. Yeah. If you set the bar low, I think, and then praise guys, it's okay because you're saying, well, we have a lot to work on, but so-and-so-and-so is doing a good job yeah. at doing the work. That's not disingenuous. I think there are a lot of people that can stomach that. But when you come out and say, look at us, we are the best in the country. Right. All y'all other suckers suck. Right. We need five footballs out there to yeah, keep these guys happy. Exactly. And, and you go, like, we, we, we're not experts, of a, but you know, we've seen enough to know if it was that good, you know, right. that that, that uh, we, you would have more NFL scouts coming around and yeah, stuff exactly, like that. Exactly. You know, it, and, and so just, just love, and you know, fans aren't that dumb either. Yeah. You know, and, and so just, just come and say, yeah, we've got potential, but we also have problems. Yeah. It's presumed that Keon Zipper is going to emerge as the number yeah. one option in that room. 
a guy who I hate to call him undersized, but just does leave a little bit to be desired in, in terms of length, especially when you look at who Napier recruited to come in at the tight end position. Hayden Hansen, Arliss Boardingham. Arliss Boardingham. Great name. I, I just like great to say name. The, name. the wingspan on those guys is tremendous. You hear the term mismatch for what they can do in the open field. That's not really what Keon Zipperer gives you from a physical standpoint. Now, his speed, I think, is is a huge weapon in this offense when used correctly. When you find the way to use him correctly, I think that they can be really good. Before we get to this first break here, we have to talk about the unfortunate news surrounding Gage Wilcox. Yeah, Billy another Napier, part of the problem. Yeah, we mentioned three tight ends out. We mentioned the two, Nick Elksness and Jonathan Odom, who are missing due to temporary injuries. For Odom, it is a torn labrum, and for Elksness, it is a broken scapula. But for Gage Wilcox, we have not heard anything public about what he is dealing with. And and Billy Napier didn't really give any details. I I don't want to say he was cryptic, but Mm -hmm. he was vague in saying first that Wilcox had a season-ending injury before correcting himself and saying that Wilcox had a career-ending injury. He then, you know, you mentioned the same Napier tone, said tough, but a part of football. Obviously, there's going to be intrigue surrounding Wilcox's situation, but I think that we're in a place right now where people are not pressing too much for medical information when it's not offered up. And if it does get reported what Wilcox is going through, then I think the picture will be a little bit more clear. But we don't know anything right now, only that he is not expected to be part of the Florida football program moving forward and his collegiate football career may be over. Yeah. When you say career, you and I were talking about this a little bit earlier. Do you mean collegiate career or UF career? Right. That is definitely a topic of conversation. We don't know, but for right now, they are without Wilcox. Yeah, uh, the whole lack of clarity on injuries in college football, I mean, it, we, we could do an hour on that, but it, things have changed. I mean, it used to be the trainer would just say, yeah, he blew out his knee and, and you would just take it from there. Yeah. I mean, there needs to be some control, but they they hide behind all sorts, you know, like HIPAA and stuff. Like, yeah. And you you want to respect people's privacy, but but for a a player in col- in a major college football team, you have fans live and die by these rosters, and right. and just to say, oh, he will no longer play, and it you can't just leave it at that, right? You know, uh, and oh, sure, if it was, if he was having emotional, you know, you, you protect. There is privacy issues to be involved, but, but also you need you need more than just saying it's a career-ending injury because you're thinking, all right, I mean, was he is he paralyzed? Is he okay? Yeah, did he blow out his knee? Yeah, yeah, you know, and because career, I mean, how bad of a knee injury do you do you need now for it to end your career? I mean, and, and if it's that bad, my God, you know, you'd think that they'd want. There'd be an outpouring of of sympathy for this guy. Let's go, you know, go by the hospital, and because career-ending just sounds so, sounds so so devastating. Yeah, and but it, it's well, we won't we won't tell you more. You know, and, and, I, and you know, Florida's not the only place that I mean, they exactly all do that. Not. I, I mentioned that, and maybe elsewhere, and I'm not saying that the Florida media necessarily treats the team too fairly or overly. Mm-hmm. Um, carries the water for the program yeah. like some people would say but you easily could have had anyone in that room say well what well, what is his career ending injury is he okay this is a tampa guy yeah. who has been in the program what what happened to him what happened mm-hmm. anyone could have said that but that didn't happen so we still are left with some injury yeah. and often with social media these decisions fall on players to come out they have all the means now to come out and tell everyone what their injury is with right. a nice graphic. And in the past, you know, they'd have to have a press conference or the coach, like you said, would say, oh, yeah, he blew out his knee. And that was that because the player was not going to come out there on crutches and say, yeah, this is what happened to me. It, the onus of that fell on the coach. But in this day and age, the player, with their family's blessing, can do it on their own and, and make sure yeah. it's tactful. And they say, I'm grateful for the doctors that operated on me. Something like that. When that's the odd thing about this uh, situation with Wilcox is that you've heard nothing. Yeah. And because it is so, I mean, just go to your little Twitter machine and say, you know, here's here's what happened to me, and 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 goodness, if the player says it, you know, there there are no privacy issues involved. Exactly. But the fact that he has has been so mum about it too, it just it, it just makes you scratch your head because, uh, you know, I, 
career ending injuries, as you said, there are career ending injuries, and then there are there are foot there are careers at that school that yeah. injured. And so, and for all we know, he you know he may surface somewhere else in a year or two, and whatever he had here could be cleared out. Coming I mean, because it's I mean he's you know, 18, 19 years old. I think, you know, unless it is, you know, it's such a, dev- it's like a Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, you know, a, a guy like that, even he came back, there wasn't a career. In, right. I mean, it, for it, for a career in the injury these days, it has to be just devastating. So assuming that he, he comes back, the question is going to come, what will happen in Florida? Right. You know, you're, you're supposed to, you know, still be in some convalescent home somewhere. You know, get getting, you know, fed, fed three times a day by a nurse, the way you make it sound. Right. I was making this point earlier. <sighs> We also have to have an appreciation for how much medical advancements have made it so that there are less and less career-ending injuries. Yeah. I mean, you, you remember when some of these quarterbacks in the late 80s, early 90s oh. would go through elbow injuries and they'd be out nearly two years. Oh, it, and yeah. it, it wouldn't always go according to plan. They oh. wouldn't just snap back. Yeah. And now there's this you oh, know, I'm old less than a remember. year and you better be the same. Yeah, I mean, uh, for, for the uh, us geezers out there, uh, <laughs> and I don't recall, but you know, Gail Sayers, you know, great one of the greatest uh, running backs ever. You know, uh, in prime of his career, tore up his knee. He he was done. That was it. I mean, th- today he'd been back next season. Yeah. yeah, there are less and less. I think we just have to have that appreciation for that because you know, Danny Warfel when he was talking after Saturday's practice was saying it's important to provide the historical context because you need to know how lucky you are in a sense. I mean, I'm paraphrasing what he said. That's just incredibly, I think, accurate when it comes to medical recoveries. I think it's easier for players to take solace in an injury that they have to recover from because they're more likely to come back in the same shape. It's more likely to be less than a year. And they're not going to really lose a huge part of their athletic window. I mean, we're close to an ACL repair being six months and that's it yeah. well, we're seeing it with naquan Wright. yeah i mean at fsu game you look at him and say man that poor kid you know he'll be lucky to be back you know in, in a year or two yeah and he's out there you know this spring not in full drills but you know, you go wow you know he could be back he seems like he'll be in full speed come august yeah and you go hey what you know what's going on here you know it's like the old star trek thing where they just you know wave some sort of machine over <laughs> and he's oh you're healed you know? we need that too we're actually going to talk about naquan Wright after we take this first break we're going to talk a little more scrimmage and in the last segment of today's podcast, we are going to talk about what's going on with some of the other sports here in Gainesville. We'll be right back. USA Today's Florida Sports Network covers the Sunshine State better than anyone else. We have reporters and columnists covering Florida, Florida State, and Miami, the Dolphins, Jaguars, and Bucks. Like NASCAR, we've got you covered. We also provide the most comprehensive high school coverage available, and so much more. In fact, we have 17 news sites that encompass the state. Hi, I'm Tim Walters, host of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. Each week, this podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. From Pensacola to Jacksonville, to Palm Beach to Naples, and all points in between, we've got you covered. The State of Florida Sports Podcast can be found wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as on any of our state news sites. And we are back. You are listening to the Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I am your host, Graham Hall, joined to my left by David Whitley. Fresh from uh, the scrimmage. Yes. Yeah. It was a it was a good talking to after the scrimmage. We I wonder when we're ever gonna get to watch one, actually. I'll throw my phone in a bin. I'll I'll right. you know no notepads or anything, I guess, like that. Just swear swear to secrecy. That's a that's right. one where it's like whose memory's the best. Yeah. You got to like yeah. come prepared, drink a few cups of coffee and just really, you know, don't blink, David, don't blink. Mm-hmm. Just look around and see who can process the most information without all these fancy yeah. devices. And yeah, because we are totally at the mercy, almost except for, you know, a, a 15, one 15 minute segment, but you're totally at the mercy of, of secondhand information and what people tell you. And some of it is no doubt accurate and true. And some of it, you know, it's filtered through the, the lenses of bias and, and everything else. And you just sort of, it's, it's like a, you know, a big jigsaw puzzle. You just got to put it together. Right. Yeah. It, it's tough. I can understand 
why they're so conspiratorial because of, and you were mentioning this with injuries earlier, sports betting is going to fix all that, by the way. I think that everyone, if they don't realize that, they will quickly realize that, that you don't have that in the NFL or really any other sport that you can bet well, on. when you because, do, it's very controversial. Yeah, it you is. Know, because Belichick like, hiding stuff. Well, and, these guys, right. they probably had a hand in right. the money. Because right. there's just all this doubt. You need to just, I think, get rid of the cause, potential cause for conspiracy. Yeah. Oh, in 10 years, yeah, the, the secrecy will not will not cut it. Because, if it's 10 years, man. Because yeah, oh, sports not. gambling is going to become so big. And you're seeing it now. I mean, there have been universities that have signed on with gambling companies. I think we're seasons away. You know, you saw... Uh, Chet Holmgren, I think yeah. it was him, from Gonzaga, he did a commercial for a casino mm-hmm. in the middle of the season. I mean, David, yeah. how many years ago? Like maybe five years ago? Not even. Oh, That's not, like yeah. we're all talking about all right. throughout, oh, should this top player be not eligible? He would have, If he was Reggie Bush, he would have had all his awards stripped yeah. away. Yeah, but you know, to, to your point, it, they can't hide injuries because there's going to be so much money riding on this stuff, and the schools are part of the, in the partnership with these casinos, or they're, or they're becoming more and more so. Yeah. So, so it, it's going to be an adjustment for some of these coaches who are used to being going out there and just you know, saying, well, you know, uh, you know Tom, Tom Brady, I, I'm amazed that he went that whole season two years ago with a torn medial collateral, and, and, it, and they got away with not get, reporting because yeah, he managed to go out there and play. Yeah. But the fact that they did that, and and you know, there's so much money will be riding on the, and it already is that they can't keep the secrecy. And, and now that we've gotten way off track, but still, it, yeah. it is interesting. And it's back to the whole injury thing and, and how we don't know what's going on. Yeah, not at all. You know, we can only look at orange no contact jerseys yeah. here and what has maybe been previously reported, or you can go do the digging and then, you know, attribute it to sources. Right. Whatever you want to do, we can only, I think, like I said take away so much from Florida's injury situation. And for a while there, without knowing really the injury itself, we were reporting Naquan Wright was a guy who was going to miss all of spring camp. And I don't believe he's scrimmaged with the team. He's not doing anything that comes to live contact action right now. But in Florida's ninth spring practice this past Saturday, Naquan was out there dressed out in an orange, no-contact jersey, and he was going through several drills, pass protection drills. Uh, They were using bags to work on hurdling. I think that, as you see, obviously this is the first step in him getting back to football action, but that is a huge sign, just knowing what Florida plans to do again in the backfield. You know it's going to be a by-committee approach. Jabbar Jalut came out right away and said, I've done this before. You have to keep guys fresh. Some guy will emerge as the top running back but that's not going to be really the intention because you have to develop five running backs so that there's no theoretically a drop off when or if right. someone it, gets injured yeah and it worked last year um it did you know, they, i mean they, they they ran you know they had a, a, a really productive uh year running i mean of course it's funny that your leading rushers were the quarterbacks yeah. but still that, that, that you know between between Naquan and Damian Pierce, and, and, and you know, in retrospect, he said, "Well, gosh, Damian should have gotten it more." But you know, it, it, Dan Mullen can come back and say, "But you know, it's a totality that we want." Yeah, and yeah, I mean, it will be com- by committee, and you know, it should be I mean, unless you have you know a Derrick Henry out you know back there, you know, some generational type running, or you know, a Herschel or an Emmett. You know, you can you can spread it around, and these guys look like they you know a four headed. I don't want to call it a monster, but a four headed be some sort of some sort of machine out there where you can you can plug and play depending on what the play or what the situation is. Yeah, and I I think that a lot of that stuff, the anger surrounding carries for a running back, there becomes a certain point of it where it's too much in my mind because for a guy like Damian Pierce, I think you could have made the argument that he was already doing so much well and leading in many other ways aside from on the field that the desire to play him came from a competitive perspective where you thought that he would give you the best chance. Whereas, I mean, does two to three more carries really change the trajectory mm-hmm. of Florida season? I think a lot of people, you know, they could argue that for an hour one way or the other, but ultimately if Damian Pierce is able to play a couple extra years in the NFL or makes the NFL based off his durability or even gets drafted higher because he is seen, again, narrative, as someone who has less tread on his tires than a lot of other running backs, 
do you think Damian Pierce is going to lose sleep at night for not getting 20 extra carries his last season? No. no the only no. people worked up about that are going to be the fans because ultimately these guys are trying to make it to the NFL and Pierce only having 100 carries last season while showing that he was the best in pass pro and was able to catch out of the backfield and was tough and physical and endearing to a fan base. I, I, I think that that stuff helped him more than 20 carries, 30 carries would have. Yeah, it... He will always be. It's sort of like the JFK thing. You know, he he died too young, you know, and and so he never had a chance to really fail. And he can always be whatever you want him to project. What he would, yeah, maybe know, he fumbles in a critical yeah. game or and something like gosh, that. We'd have had Damien. Totally you know, different. That might have been it. Now, if if he turns into Derrick Henry in the NFL, then I think we can come back and say, "What the heck were you thinking?" Yeah, Dan? exactly. But, but he he, I think he's going to go and have a long, productive pro career. But I mean, he's—I don't think he's—he's he's an All-Pro. So and, and you can say, yeah, they should have used him more. But it—you're—you're you're right. Last season did not did not rise or fall strictly on the lack of carries by Damian Pierce. Yeah, exactly. And to put that on him or like say that was a huge reason behind Florida's offensive woes in a sense, I think is just also yeah, like pretty unfair to Damian because one player can only do so much and mm-hmm. when he was out there he was extremely effective but he couldn't determine how often he was out there so to say that oh necessarily oh things would have changed with him you know I could understand why maybe some players would take that as a compliment but some would say you know what more could I have done you know it it's a very interesting argument certainly but when it comes to Naquan Wright he was arguably Florida's best pass catching back last season you saw him often on the wheel route, dating back a couple of years. You just saw that ability in the open field as well as in the backfield, taking handoffs. So I think that getting him back just gives you more all-around looks in your backfield, certainly depth, but that's a guy that is going to be counted on, I think, a lot more than people think because Demarcus Bowman and Montreal Johnson, I I know that those guys are considered to be the two front runners, and, and Lorenzo Lingard, I've heard, has looked extremely good in practice, although that has been the case for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Naquan has obviously got something to say about it, and if you're a Florida fan, you got to just be expecting that he's going to be another cog in this rotation, and, yeah. and that's really the ceiling, rather than expecting, oh, he's going to come out here and dominate. You know, you mentioned Derrick Henry. I don't think you're going to see Florida have a guy like that for a while, even though Demarcus Bowman came in with yeah. similar yeah. recruiting yeah, rankings. But there's always going to be a, you know, a few five-star running, but, but even the five-stars, you know, they're a Derrick Henry type or an Emmett, they come around once every you know ten or fifteen years, and and you're lucky if you get them. So I, uh, I don't think you know if Florida gets one, well, hooray! But it's hard to imagine that that it going forward. And you've seen it in the NFL, running backs are becoming almost interchangeable. And the yeah. key thing is just is just to keep that quarterback or that running back room, as we now call it, happy. And you know, and if if there's a malcontent, and I don't think because these guys went through it last year, so I think they all know that that there is no superstar in there and they're going to have to, to share the pie yeah and and if they don't well you know that's what the transfer portal was invented for yeah and i think yeah. you can also take solace and even if you are the third guy that it has no bearing necessarily on what you may do at the next level you know i mentioned uh, you know damian pierce and and naquan and them kind of being behind in the pecking order during their time at florida Right now, Frank Gore is going to sign a one-day contract yeah. to retire with the 49ers. Was he the top back in that room? Absolutely not. Oh, no. Of course, that was also one of the greatest exactly. collection of talents exactly. ever that they had. You know, when you think of, of that, uh, of those, you know, Willis McGay, I mean, it, it, it just, if you go back and look at that early 2000s Miami roster. I'm not, yeah, I'm not comparing yeah. their, their yeah. ceiling, but it, right. there's something to be said about yeah. not necessarily right. being the guy yeah, the in guy. college and, and having... And the pros will find. I mean, it, it's cra- like uh, uh, the... Uh, the pro, uh, who, who's the kid that went to FSU and now he's start he's starting for the for the Rams. You know, he high recruit went over to FSU and uh, Cam uh, Cam Akers, yep. yeah, big time recruit went there and had a man, you know, okay career, but not what and now you know he, but in the NFL, it is in it. They they find you. Yeah, they they will plug plug you in right away. Yeah, that's why you always find these players from Wofford, Western yeah. Michigan. I mean, you name it, that end up making it at the next level just because they didn't star at the collegiate level i mean development is not linear yeah guys come along late they come along early and then flame out like the game passes them behind or they don't keep up from the mental aspect many reasons yeah i'm interested in just seeing montrove johnson because we haven't seen him you know and that's, yeah that's one of course that's one of the 
one of the many, many things you, you're really looking forward to seeing for the final, you know, scrimmage, well, the orange and blue game. Yeah. The, the, the official big scrimmage of the year. Yeah, there will be two more scrimmages. The first yeah. one's going to be this upcoming Saturday. The final one will be next Thursday, April 14th. That was moved up initially from April 16th. Real quick here, before we get to the last break, you and I are going to talk about the first sp- spring scrimmage that was last Thursday, held at the indoor practice facility because rain was coming all down. It was overcast and nasty. I mentioned earlier that Billy Napier had some praise for the team. He said that they did look good, but then also said that they need players. One of the other standouts was Ventrell Miller. We reported on this in the Gainesville Sun and on Gatorsports.com, but Ventrell has only been able to participate usually on Saturdays because of his class schedule. Yeah, Student part of right. athlete, you know? Student, yeah. Anyone athlete. else would be behind, absolutely. Yeah. But Ventrell, he was the second leading tackler two years ago. He was the leading tackler coming into last season. Had, I think, 140-plus tackles between the last two years. And then he tears his biceps in the second game of the season. And misses the rest of the year. And, hey, and to their credit, was, they actually designated the injury. Yeah, exactly. They we didn't have to say he has an injury, you know, and, you're, and you're wondering, gosh, you know, what? But uh, and why not? You know, tear, tear, tore biceps. But you know, we had said that no, no one thing uh, uh, last year made or broke the season. For but I tell you, losing Ventro Miller before the season really hurt that yeah, defense. That defense was really reliant on a middle inside linebacker, and that was not unique really to the Dan Mullen era. You saw that under Jim McElwain with David Reese. You saw that with James Houston and now Ventro Miller being the guy in the middle. They tried to move Diabate there, but that was not the position that he had been training at. I know they were using that term cross-training guys for the last couple of years, but that was not his primary position. Ventro going down absolutely hurt this team. Billy Napier came out Thursday and said, quote, inside backer is a room that's very thin as a result of a few guys being banged up to there. Safety room is thin as a result of a few guys being banged up there. We're lucky. We're just a couple players away here from not being able to pr- practice the way that we wanted to. Now, Ventrell was able to practice Thursday, and then he was back out there on Saturday. I, I mentioned that he was a little tired coming in afterwards. Maybe that has to do with the fact that it was just his fourth practice, mm-hmm. but also I think has to do with the pace of the practice. That's going to be a huge addition for this defense moving forward that has been relying on some of these younger guys. Derek Wingo, Dewan Black was one we've heard a lot, a guy that has a whole lot of length, and he's in his first spring, really. Has really been on campus for less than a year, if you think about it. Got here last summer, going through his first spring. He looks slimmed down. But the reason those guys have stepped up was because Ventrell was away from the field yeah. for so long. Yeah, and and there's one. that's one way to look at it is is for the lack of depth that that, that means that there's a, a surfeit of opportunity for these guys. You have you know there there are reps out there to be that somebody can take and get better, and you're seeing it because you see there's good potential in that linebacker room, and and that's one of those cliches. It, it, now it is not your linebacker position. Everybody has a room. Yeah. yeah. How's your wide receiver room? Your yeah, linebacker it, room. It depends also on yeah. I think your how you're designating players. You know, Florida's yeah. using that term Jack linebacker. Yeah. We've heard Buck. We've heard Moneybacker. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you are not familiar with what these terms mean, you're going to be sitting here thinking that you're playing a game of cards or something like that. I think that also that includes you know you wrote a good story, really good story. Everyone should read it on Brenton Cox. You know, yeah, I, it's it's hard to remember that they're considering that guy to be you know an outside linebacker technically and so many people would say well you know he's a he's a rush end he's a defensive end what is he really right it's, it's that's funny why it's we had room. that discussion yeah like like what all does he do and, yeah and it's a hybrid position is what it's become yeah and it takes you know it, it takes some uh, a, a, a variety of skills to be able to pull that off but you know i mean Britton cox he, he's one of those guys you know and, and you know we talked about it you know just he was the most dominant player on that defense the last two games you know, because he was, you're thinking, well, he's finally over that ankle injury or getting better, and now he. So, I I think you know that that their starting lineup at at linebacker and defensive end or how you know these hybrid you know looks looks fairly you can you can not lose much sleep over it yeah. right now, but uh, as you said, it's pretty thin beyond that. Yeah, they're going to have to definitely get some guys to step up. One guy who certainly has stepped up is Anthony Richardson. We're going to talk about him real quick before getting to this final break. He had. What I've heard is a turnover-free performance. He had one long run, which made its way to social media. Did look pretty good in a lot of situational stuff. You know, they they don't just do a full scrimmage. They back you up to the 10. They back you up to the 5. See how you react. See your judgment in certain scenarios. That's part of the analytic aspect that we wrote about also a couple weeks ago. He has a little bit 
of room for improvement when it comes to the situational stuff. That's obviously going to come with time. But his arm strength was impressive. His decision-making in the open field was impressive. I think that they have to be really impressed right now with what they have in Richardson, considering that this team spent a lot of time wondering how much they would get to really even use him in spring practice. He got mm-hmm. cleared a day before. Yeah, well, that gets back to the injury thing because you weren't sure. And exactly. You, you knew he had, had, had surgery after the season, and 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 just you just don't want to assume that well he'll be out because it was much more safe to assume he wouldn't be out there. He would be limited, but you know when he showed it that first day, he didn't look that limited. You know, you could tell that he was ready to play. And you know that may have played part part of the reason why Emory Jones is now in the transfer portal. Yeah. Um, but I I think it's it's becoming clear that this is this is his team. This is his position to lose because of, of of what everybody knows. Just that just that raw talent and raw ability. But uh, you know the key, as you said, is the decision making process. You know, yeah. Just ironing out the decisions which were not good last year. And how much time he has to make those decisions, I think, is going to be a huge key for his success. And that's going to come down to the offensive line. Billy said this about the offensive line, he said, quote, I think the offensive line is a reflection of the entire team. I mean, we have a pretty good first group we can put out there. And if you really evaluated the team relative to experience, this is a very inexperienced team. After the first team, if you look at the experience, the number of plays that a lot of these guys have played, they haven't played any. So we have a lot of work to do to develop that second and third group. He also came out and said, we don't really have a third group right now. It's two groups. But Outside of the first string offensive line, which includes Osiris Torrance, Josh Braun is competing a little bit in there, but maybe more of a second team guy right now. Kingsley Aguacon has looked really good. Richard Garage, you know the usual names. Mm-hmm. Richie Leonard, I've heard some good things about him as well. They're going to have to continue developing depth there if Anthony Richardson or Jack Miller or right. whoever's the quarterback wins, who ends up winning that job is going to be successful in this yeah. offense. They're going to need some protection, man. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, that is one unit where you do need two units to do it because inevitably someone's going to get, you know, yeah. and five people. So you really do need to go too deep on your offensive line. And, and, you know, Billy's right that if you look at the first start in 22 uh, that they will put out there this fall, I, you know, it'll be SEC caliber, but that gets back to the whole rebuilding process. If you're going to have a program, you know, that, that, of Alabama, Georgia, catch up with them. You know, Georgia, guy went down, next guy came in, you didn't lose a thing. Opponents of five stars. Yep, yep. Uh, Florida, you lose a guy, you're going to lose something next year. And that's, that's going to be, that's not a one-year process to heal. It's, you know, it's a two- or three-year process. Yeah, it's, it's why recruiting is so important, why you had fans when there weren't games happening clamoring for more, 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 yeah. more all the time. You know, it's recruit every day or die, and whether that's in the transfer portal or at the high school level, you got to do it because this is the time where that depth and your efforts show. We're going to take this final break real quick. When we come back, we're going to transition from talking spring football practice to talking what's going on in Gainesville when it comes to the rest of the spring sports. Everyone loves to call this an everything school, UF especially, and a lot is going on, including some national championship contention in the next week. We'll be right back. I'm Blake Topmeyer, and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist John Adams, let's just say he's got a few decades on me. Not as many decades as some people think. Contrary to popular opinion, I did not cover General Nealon, but I did interview Bear Bryant, and I interviewed Nick Saban, and I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning. More insightful interview, John. Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors? Gotta go with Steve Spurrier there. He's the great quipster. SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back with the final segment of this episode of the Gator Sports Podcast. I am your host, Graham Hall, joined on my left by my co-host, David Whitley. Hello. Now, we're going to transition from talking spring practice. That was a lot of spring football info, and you can always find more on Gatorsports.com and in the Gainesville Sun. We're going to talk about some of those, everyone, I hate this term, I got to say it, man, smaller sports. It's kind of unfair, I guess, based by... Non-revenue sports, as they say. the budget uh, would make them smaller sports, but they're certainly not small when it comes to accomplishments out here right now. I mean, there truly is more to Florida uh, 
University of Florida athletics than football. I and, say and all the time that yeah. if you love athletics, there's something to do here almost every day of the week, and, and we don't have enough hands to cover it all. And we try, and we have a chance to talk about it. And because we're seeing some teams at some critical junctures, whether it's in the middle of the season, amid a SEC losing streak, or whether they're about to head to Fort Worth and compete for a national championship, we're going to have to talk about them right here because they deserve it. Let's talk some baseball real quick, because I know, David, you've been following what's been going on with this team in SEC play. They're certainly not the only team to kind of, I guess, hit a rut in a sense here and experience what the rest of the SEC has to offer. And there is a whole lot of talent here right now. The Gators are in the midst of a five-game conference losing streak. They saw two weeks ago that game against FSU postponed. And then ever since then, it's really been kind of miserable in a sense around these parts. Well, the big question coming into the season was pitching. And the big question halfway through the season remains pitching. Although it's not becoming so much a question as the answer so far is it's not it's not holding up. Uh, they were counting on some young arms and, and hoping a couple of older guys would come back from Tommy John, and they, it just hadn't happened yet. Uh, and you know, basically, they, they just need to survive the next month because it's going to be a meat grinder. It I is. Mean, when, uh, you mentioned the SEC. It, I mean, number one, number two, Arkansas is coming in this weekend, then Tennessee, then Vandy. Uh, there's going to be no let up, and so. They just need to survive the next month and hope some of these guys, you know, through this uh, trial by fire, and that they develop and some sort of dependability by the postseason. Yeah, these this next month. I mean, they're playing the two top teams in the nation right now in Arkansas this upcoming weekend, and then Tennessee, the number one team, and then in between that, uh, just got to face Vanderbilt, who yeah. you know the perennial national champion up there that they care more about baseball in a sense there, than, than football in Nashville. Well, of course. You can't Would, blame wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, I can't blame them when you're that yeah. dominant. And, and obviously yeah. Corbin's got to be frustrated with what's happening up there in, in Vanderbilt because they started the season 16-2 and two and then get into conference play, and now they have a losing record in conference play. This mm-hmm. is Vanderbilt. I mean, they're 4-5 and five in conference play, and you know they hit that 20-win threshold. But you, you sit there and you say, maybe the conference is just this deep. But for Florida, I think that their, their issues, I think... You made him really clear. Pitching is going to be such a determinant in this sport. Obviously, not even just at this level, but when you have two, three arms and you're trying to rest guys consistently for the postseason and not get guys over that 100 pitch count, you're going to need a full room there. Yeah. You're going to need a full bullpen. And, and they don't have that with the two guys coming back from Tommy John surgery. Nick Pogue is going to throw tonight against FAMU, Tyler Nesbitt, who also came back from Tommy John surgery, and then Garrett Milchin, a six-year guy who has battled back from multiple Tommy John surgeries. They're relying on some guys that I, I think their pitching staff is not as deep as they would have desired, and part of that is being a program that sees your top arms always signed away yeah. in the draft year what, after year. Well, that's what happens, so you have to just bring them in, but the but the good arms, the potential arms they've bought in, the younger guys, they haven't you know, really come through as you had hoped and you know, that's that's the risk you take when you know great talent but there's a there's a difference between doing it in high school and doing it in college and so far you know especially with in the SEC they just haven't uh, come up and answered the bell yet uh, and you know as you said we have a that the next month will be big and if you want to put the right spin on it or the happy spin you could just say well they will be battle tested by the time the tournament comes around and maybe they will have matured in, into that. And you know, let's just say there there won't be that pressure of being number one in the nation going into the in the postseason. Absolutely, and, you know, and, it, and failing would be a disaster. Yeah, I, I think that when you struggle mid season, there can be a couple ways you look at it. Uh, maybe this is the end, or oh, we can bounce back and recover from that. And I know there's a lot of Florida fans who got to think that getting the arms back, getting guys who, you know, they were hitting the ball well early, and if they can return to that, you know, the streaks that Colby Halter and Sterling Thompson had, if they can get that back, I, I think that this team could still make a run here, but certainly in a little bit of dire straits right now. Another team looking to make a run in conference play, the Florida women's lacrosse team. They're sitting here 8-4, and four, just open conference play with a win, but before that, we know how loaded their schedule is year after year. They had to play four of the top five teams in the nation to open the season. They played North Carolina. That was a loss. They had to go to Maryland, lost there by 10. They had to play Stony Brook, 
number five in the nation, lost to them I, by I'll one. Admit, I did not know Stony Brook was in the top five. Oh, this they're year. great. They're great. I'm impressed. Yeah. Uh, they had to play Syracuse, and they beat Syracuse a couple of weeks ago, 14 to 10. Syracuse is number three in the nation. And then Florida on Wednesday opened conference play with. Uh, that win at Cincinnati um, after coming off that win at Mercer beat Cincinnati 19 to 12. So you got to think once again, Florida has a D team in the AAC, but they're struggling certainly with these ranked teams. You, you wonder if they are going to have what it takes to make a run there. Yeah, I wish I could speak more to it, but I, I got to be honest. You know, I wasn't up on Stony Brook, and you know, I do know that if Mike White had lost to Stony Brook, <laughs> he'd have been run out of town right Absolutely. away. Absolutely, that's 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 probably up there with losing. Yeah. Texas Southern. Yeah. You know, Florida did beat Stony Brook back there, I think, on December 22nd mm-hmm. earlier this season. Another team that has not lost this year and isn't getting much pressure, the Florida Gymnastics team. Now you're talking. Now we're talking. Yeah. You know, 26-0-1, that one tie against Auburn, just two of the highest scores in the nation. No big deal. Mm-hmm. Florida just went to the regional final and incredible. I mean, the score that they posted, they were coming off of that um, 198.125. And then in the final on April 2nd, this past Saturday, Florida, insane. I mean, 198.775. I mean, Trinity Thomas was incredible. Her highest score as a Gator, she now has a 10 in every event mm-hmm. this season. Not just the gym slam, but the season gym slam. I mean, this is one of the best seasons right. in history, and Florida is going to have a chance in the national championship next weekend. We'll talk a little bit more about that before Florida heads to Fort Worth next weekend. They're going to have a chance in the final eight teams to compete for the national championship. Yeah, this is, and you mentioned that much. But this is where the pressure is, you know, um, because they were you know, the the program they've built there is always near near the top, but they haven't. Really, they have, oh, this is year five or six where they haven't won it. And, yeah, it's been yeah. five years without a six yeah. years without a championship. Yeah. Uh, last year, you could you know Trinity Thomas got hurt right before the end, right? And there were injuries, and and they finished I think fourth. Uh, this is sort of a redemption year, and she so far has been you know she's Babe Ruthian what she's done. I mean, it's it's amazing, and and you if you don't follow gymnastics, you don't have to to to, to I mean tune in because it it is amazing how. How talented this team is! I mean, Leah Wong, the second, you know, who's come on, and and I, I think last year, you know, the, the injuries played up, so so they they've used more more of a of a long long term look at it this year, and they they had some some you know, they they put in for lack of a better you know uh, their second string somewhat early on, just trying to pace these people. Yeah, brought Trinity along yeah, really slowly, very slowly to peak right now, and it seems seems to be working. And you know we we mentioned that well yeah the baseball team they won't have that pressure going into this you know this team you know, anything less than a national championship would be considered a, a, a big letdown yeah I think so you know obviously a whole lot of talent in there Michigan the reigning national champion is in Florida's group for that finale uh, the the first regional final before you get to the championship so Florida has to be one of the top two teams there against Auburn as well in that group yeah. the team that is coming off the right. top score wonder, so it's going to be tough yeah you think well gosh they are they they peaked and then then because they had such a good meet prior to the SEC meet was so good and then they did this which you know it was the third highest score ever in, in NCAA history I mean you have to go back I think to 2004 for somebody to to score that high absolutely and. And you went, man, how do you top, you know, it's like, can you top this? If they top this, it, it, it's just, you know, you're, you're going to need the 19, you know, 84 U.S. team, <laughs> Olympic team to be, you know, to, to come back somehow. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's, it's, that's going to be, I think, the next week, really, uh, you know, uh, everybody's eyes are always looking football, but this is, it's really an amazing story of what they have going on with gymnastics. It really will be. And it's going to be an incredible thing to follow next Thursday. I know a lot of eyes will be on football that night, but gymnastics competing for a national championship, beginning their quest for it there in the final stages on Thursday, heading into Saturday. We'll be talking a little bit about that next week on the Gator Sports Podcast. This has been another episode presented by the Gainesville Sun. Thanks for listening. Take care. Adios.